Hello and welcome. I'm Megan Crabtree and one of my favorite times of the day is when I'm getting ready and I can throw on a true crime case without distraction. Every week we dive into a new case while you grab your makeup, sip your coffee, and get ready with murder. When you get married, the last thing you consider is that you may end up divorcing your new partner. However, across the United States, there are just under 700,000 divorces yearly, and 23.5% of those are due to abuse. Divorce is messy. There's often the general hostility of the partners, who will end up with what assets, custody issues, and when abuse is factored in, not only are divorces messy, but they're incredibly dangerous for the spouse being abused. Everyone knows that the most dangerous time in a domestically violent relationship is when you are leaving it. This is the case of the disappearance of Lisa Stebick. Lisa was born May 19, 1969 in Park Ridge, Illinois. She later graduated in 1987 from Libertyville High School. She was really involved in her swim team at school and she loved jazz dancing growing up. After high school, she went on to attend Southern Illinois University, followed by Kendall College, where she earned a degree in hotel and restaurant management. She worked in hotels post-college graduation. Lisa was enjoying her life. She went to a party one evening where she met her future husband, Craig Stebbick. They had a whirlwind type of relationship, and they decided to elope on April 6, 1993. Just two years into their marriage, Lisa and Craig would welcome their first child, Alexis, followed by a little boy about a year later named Zachary. Life became messy for the Stubbicks rather quickly once they were married. They lived in Waukegan, Illinois, and Craig was working as a pipe fitter. He ended up needing to travel a lot for his job, so his family would move to Plainfield, Illinois for an easier commute for Craig. In 1995, things would begin to get scarier for Lisa and her marriage. While pregnant with their daughter, Craig was charged with two felony counts of unlawful use of a weapon. This is so weird because from what I can gather, Craig was pulled over within a thousand feet of two of the schools in the town and this could have possibly just been a routine stop or they may have had prior reason to do so because what they end up finding in Craig's car, well, here we go. Craig had a 10-gauge double-barrel shotgun, a 44 Magnum semi-automatic pistol, a Ruger Mini-14 assault rifle, and an AK-47 semi-automatic assault rifle in his Toyota pickup. Like, was this dude going to war? Who the heck needs to carry that type of weaponry just chilling in their pickup truck? Not only was he charged with two felonies, but he was also charged with four misdemeanor counts of unlawful use of a weapon, operating an unsafe motor vehicle, and driving with his license while revoked. Like, this man's got lots of explaining to do if I'm his wife. So Lisa and Craig ended up separating during this time, and I mean rightfully so. If my husband was caught riding around with all of that in his car... I mean, I'd be gone too. And it makes you think, what in the world was going on in their home during that time? Did he actually have a reason as to why he had all of those guns? He supposedly was a hunter. And listen, I live in an area where hunting is very popular. I don't know anyone that would ride around with that amount of weaponry in their car. It's just like not necessary at all. It's so weird. Anyway, their separation wouldn't last long at all. 
and they would reconcile during this time. It wasn't long into the reconciliation that a 911 call would be placed to the Plainfield police for what was described as a nonviolent verbal fight between the couple. During a later interview with the police following his wife's disappearance, Craig would explain that his wife showed up intoxicated after being out all night during this phone call. A friend of Lisa's would also say that Lisa had told her Craig had locked her out of the house that night. So it does sound like, you know, a kerfluffle, if you will, between a married couple. Immaturity, probably. Locking your wife out in the middle of the night because you're just mad at her. Anyway, in 2006, Lisa began working as a substitute custodian at her children's school in the evenings when her children would be in bed. This was in addition to working as a lunch lady during the day at the school. I'm only speculating, but I fully believe at this point in Lisa's marriage, she was trying to find income to get herself and her children out of a very rocky environment. It's now 2007 and the new year has just passed. Craig was officially filed. Craig has officially filed for divorce from Lisa after she told him the previous October that she was just done with the marriage. He would cite irreconcilable differences in the divorce petition and they sought joint custody of their two children, with Lisa being the residential custodian. Craig states that he and Lisa had barely spoken in the previous six months and they were just living their lives like entirely separately underneath one roof. So during the same time, Lisa had actually lost 30 pounds and she was really leaning into the love of exercise and her new body. I'm sure that there was a level of therapy there for her within working out during a time in which she was experiencing such stress going through this divorce. It's noted as well that she was also very casually dating an unnamed man. We don't know much about them at all other than the relationship if you could call it that, was very casual. On April 11th, 2007, Lisa posted in an online forum looking for female friends to work out with. And I get it. Stella was getting her groove back, right? She was literally dumping 200 pounds of dead weight with her ex, and she was looking for someone to hang out with, vent, continue to stay active. She explained in this post she was only seeking female friends, and she wanted to do activities that included her two children, getting them involved with her love of exercise as well. As it turns out, this post would be one of the final, more documented things that Lisa would do. On April 30th, 2007, Lisa went about a typical day. She went to work at her school as a lunch lady preparing the day's lunches with a coworker, Ruby, who would later quote, we prepared lunches, we laughed and we joked, unquote. Ruby noticed nothing unusual about Lisa that day. Lisa left her shift that day around 2.30 p.m. and ran to Jimmy John's for a sandwich. I mean, a lunch lady's gotta eat too. And then she would run some errands and return home. Now, it needs to be mentioned that it was Lisa's typical routine to pick up her 10-year-old son, Zach. However, no one can confirm if she actually picked him up that day or not. Friends would explain that Lisa would always spend the evenings at home with her two children before she would leave for the evening to go and work out at the local high school once Craig got home. Craig explains that on the evening of April 30th, he got home from work and decided to give the kids some money to go down to the local Walgreens for candy while he worked outside in the backyard. This, however, would later strike Lisa's friends and family as peculiar. Lisa was a 
big stickler for no processed sugar or candy, anything like that for her children. Now, I personally find this sus and super convenient for Craig to get his kids out of the house, but I can reason with the fact that these two are going through a divorce right? And it wouldn't be outrageous to assume that Craig would probably not give two cents about what his soon-to-be ex-wife wanted and would send them for candy against his wife's wishes. I mean, that's not odd or shocking with a divorcing couple. Anyway, he would continue to work in the backyard and then when he came back inside for the evening, he says Lisa was gone. He assumes she left for her evening exercise routine. What's super weird, though, is that he goes on to suggest to law enforcement that Lisa's car was still in the garage. He would tell police that, you know, she must have just gotten a ride that evening and left her car at home. I mean, okay, but was that common? Did she frequently leave her car at home and hitch a ride with someone? I have a hard time believing this as just a couple weeks ago, she was searching for friends to even exercise at all with. Sure, maybe she met some friends in that time, but I have a hard time believing that Craig would just assume she was picked up by friends. She literally didn't have any the weeks prior. He knew her routine and he knew how unlikely this would be. So it's weird to me. Anyway, the last documented time that Lisa was seen would be around 6 p.m. by her soon-to-be ex-husband. Now, the kids would return from Walgreens with their candy around 6.30 p.m., so they weren't gone very long, and he would promptly leave and take them to Target to pick up a birthday gift. Lisa would not end up showing up for her exercise class that evening, and this was not normal. As I said before, Lisa had really gotten into fitness and enjoyed her evenings at these classes. I mean, come on, if you are getting divorced, getting out of a toxic relationship, and you find your therapy, you just don't really miss that time. Like, you always show up. So, her instructor said that she would usually arrive around 6 p.m. and then not leave until closing time around 8.30 p.m., but that night, she did not show up. Lisa obviously didn't come home that evening, and Craig would tell police later that it wasn't uncommon for her to go out after the gym, but even so, she would still be home by like 10 or 11. The evening would roll on, and Lisa would never return home that night. Now, I know that they were living basically separate lives at this point, so being worried for that person's well-being not returning home for the night probably wouldn't be very high on Craig's priority list, but I also want to make note of something really important that took place the day that Lisa went missing. So Lisa had sent a petition to her lawyer to temporarily evict Craig from the house the day that she went missing. The petition read, quote, he's jeopardizing my mental and physical well-being and is jeopardizing the mental well-being of our minor children, unquote. Guys, so this is kind of big. Craig claims that he had never been aware of this petition until after Lisa's disappearance. But is that true? Like, did he find out? And did this petition set Craig off going into a rage? I mean, it's absolutely possible and it would give motive alongside the other testimony of him being abusive, which we'll get to. It's no secret that Craig was the breadwinner of the household. And can you imagine personally hearing that you are about to possibly get legally evicted when you pay all of the bills for that home? 
I'm not saying it was right or a wrong move for Lisa personally. I'm just providing where Craig's mindset could have possibly been in the midst of all of this. The following morning, May 1st, 2006, Lisa's co-workers would receive a message from Craig around 8.50 a.m. asking if they knew where Lisa was. They replied that she never showed up for work that day. And Craig would then call a neighbor around 10 a.m. to see if she knew where Lisa was. This part is so strange. The neighbor would end up calling in a missing persons report to the police. Not Craig. What? Like what? I don't get why. This man was previously a private investigator and you're telling me that no red flags are popping off when Lisa didn't return home. Yeah, you heard me right. He was a private investigator at one point in his life and nothing is telling him that, hey, something could have possibly happened to my ex-wife. Nothing? I just find that really hard to believe. So Lisa herself, her credit cards, her cell phone, and her purse would all be missing. And here's Craig chilling. He goes about his day as normal. He takes his kid to school and he's heading to work afterwards. I don't know, man. I mean, regardless of my current issues with my partner, I'd still be taking the day off of work to figure out where the mother of my children is. But I guess that's just me. So two days later, the area behind the Stubbicks home, as well as the park across the street where Lisa would frequently walk and jog, were searched and no evidence was found. Police would also request the family computer to search and Craig would immediately turn it over to the police. I gotta give credit where credit is due because the police really would dive into this case immediately. They confirmed that Lisa had not used her credit cards since her disappearance and Craig was interviewed throughout the week by police and the police would tell reporters that they had no reason to believe that foul play was involved here because they had no evidence guys nothing it's like she just went poof so of course we can't assume foul play was involved but let's break this down a 30 something year old mother of two does not just fall off the face of the earth lisa was very close to her children and she had actually recently gotten a tattoo of a butterfly with her children's names right before her disappearance to commemorate a new start with her kids she was healthy she had just lost the 30 pounds and really developing a love for a fitness lifestyle and she had given no signs at work that she was about to go radio silent. As a mother myself, I cannot even fathom just leaving my kids. And not just that, but leaving them with a man that I claimed to others was, quote, jeopardizing the mental well-being of the minor children. More importantly, the divorce would soon be finalized and they would be moving on with their lives regardless. This would just be such an odd time frame for her to decide to just up and leave her kids. So Lisa's friends would go on to tell the media that Lisa was scared of her husband. She was reported to be receiving counseling services at the Guardian Angel Home of Joliet, which is known for providing services to battered women. Friends would also tell investigators that Lisa suffered verbal abuse from her husband. Not long after the divorce was put into motion, she would actually sleep on the couch, keeping her purse and her cell phone clutched 
to her. I guess she feared that he would take them from her and she wouldn't be able to use her cell phone or escape if things got really bad. But I mean, if somebody is sleeping on their couch so paranoid that their partner is going to take their phone or their purse, which had their keys in it, I mean, it had to be getting pretty serious. So by May 8th, Craig had stopped cooperating with investigators. He refused a polygraph test, which we've talked about this before, so I don't blame him. I would refuse it too, but he would also refuse to allow his children to be interviewed and absolutely refuse to open the door to investigators when they would come by. I get it. Lisa is a nuisance to him at this point, right? She is his about-to-be ex-wife, but let's be real. All feelings aside, she is still the mother of your children. And for them alone, don't be a douche canoe and cooperate with investigators, man. I mean, come on. Anyway, the same evening, a candlelight vigil would be held for Lisa in which, surprise, surprise, Craig does not attend, nor does he allow his children to. So the following day, Wednesday, May 9th, 2007, Craig would seek out temporary full custody of his children in fear that Lisa may return and then vanish again with his kids. Are you freaking kidding me, Craig? I know you can't see my eyes, but I'm rolling them like really hard over here. So Mother's Day would come and go with no sign of Lisa, despite extensive searches. And then on Monday, May 15th, 2007, police would conduct a surprise midnight search of the Stebbick's home. They would collect pillows, blankets, towels, as well as the family's vehicles. Oh, (laughs) and high-powered assault rifles and handguns, you know, no biggie. DNA testing would confirm that Lisa's blood was found on a tarp in the back of Craig's truck. What? So later in June, Plainfield Police Chief Donald Bennett would confirm that they did conduct a cadaver dog search inside of the Stevick's home and that the dogs did have a positive hit on something inside of the home, but they wouldn't comment any further on what that could have been. And around the same time, Craig requested and was subsequently denied to dismiss the divorce petition. This is such a bizarre request because just because Lisa was missing didn't mean that her feelings had changed regarding the divorce and even his. The only reasoning I can think of is that he may have thought doing so would possibly make him look better in the public eye. I don't know. I don't know. This is so weird. Now, what I'm about to tell you next is just really off the hinges and needs to be brought up though. Um, buckle up. So during this entire timeline, obviously media outlets were covering Lisa's case. Well, one reporter in particular, Amy Jacobson, who had been covering Lisa's case, had found herself caught in quite the scandal. So here's what happened. On July 6, 2007, Amy was very oddly caught on camera by a rival reporter. I don't honestly think you're ever going to guess where I'm about to go with this. So I'm just going to I'm just going to put it out there. She was caught on camera by the Stebix pool in her bikini dancing, enjoying a pool party with Craig just a couple months after this man's wife had gone missing. Can you say conflict of interest? Anyone? So Amy's story was this, right? She was just casually on her way to the club to go swimming with her sons that day when Craig Stubbick's sister, Jill Webb, asked Amy to come to Craig's house and talk about the case. The common sense filter part of her brain must have not been filtering in this moment because, excuse me, ma'am, what part of any of that sounds like a good idea? Let me off-duty 
from my job, go nonchalantly chill at a suspect in his wife's murder's home, in which I'm personally covering for work as if this is not a conflict of interest. Oh, and let me bring along my minor children to a potential murderer's home. So, <laughs> probably comes as no surprise that Jacobson was immediately taken off of the Stubbick story, fired from her station, and told to hire a lawyer. Also, in case you're wondering, yes, this video was aired, so the entire community knew about this. When I tell you this was a scandal, y'all... So, just a few days after all of this took place, police would formally name Craig as the sole person of interest in the disappearance of his wife. They tell the community that he has not been helpful at all in regard to the investigation and also refusing to allow his children to speak to police when they were one of the last few people that saw her. The police believe that the children had valuable information to Lisa's case, and Craig was doing his very best to conceal that. Later on, the children were subpoenaed, and they did speak to a grand jury. These are totally closed meetings, though, so we don't actually know what was discussed, but according to them, there was no additional answers or anything added to the case that would change anything. So on December 24th, 2007, close to eight months after Lisa had disappeared, another young mother, Stacy Peterson, would go missing. I am sure that you've heard of her case. This one was incredibly popular. She was married to the former Bolingbroke police sergeant and convicted murderer Drew Peterson. Yes, that Drew Peterson. Stacy's case would dominate the headlines alongside two other murder cases, and Lisa's would quickly quiet down without any answers. In October of 2009, Craig would be arrested on unrelated charges for making threatening comments to a neighbor. I mean, this man. In July of 2016, nine years after Lisa went missing, Craig would place their family home for sale at a rather steep discount in comparison to the nearby homes for just $259,900. The family home would sell and he and the children who were still in his care would move at the time. Now, I'm torn on this because even if he did or if he did not commit this crime, living in that home, in that community where people think you did, I mean, I would probably move too. So the latest correspondence regarding Lisa's case was in February of 2019 when the FBI would release a statement that they are still investigating Lisa's case and continued to keep a close eye on Craig Stebbick. Chief Konopek was quoted saying, my gut as a police officer tells me that there's absolutely somebody out there that knows exactly what happened to Lisa and we still consider Craig a person of interest. So what happened to Lisa? Was she just a victim of a random crime? Did her husband take her life? I think there is so much about this case that we don't know and that we may never find out. My personal opinion, Craig did this. The motive could have been so many things. Lisa was casually dating someone at the time of her disappearance. Did Craig know about it? And if he did know about it, did he care? Beyond that, she had just filed a petition to evict Craig from their home. And Craig does claim that he had no idea about this petition. But what if he did? What if he found out that night and just saw red? Also, 
Craig was a private freaking investigator for a while. When you have someone that used to be in that field, they know the ins and outs of the system. They know how to conceal things. And not to mention, Craig has access to easy, accessible places that he could rid her body. The family had hunting property and he was a pipe fitter who traveled for work all of the time. I mean, easy access to rid a body. The blood in the bed of the truck and the cadaver dog making a hit inside of Lisa's house really says mostly all I need to know. I think that Craig absolutely had something to do with Lisa going missing. Will we ever find out what exactly happened? I don't know. What do you think happened to Lisa's stomach? Well, friends, that's the case for today. I hope you enjoyed getting ready with me and that you have the best day ever. Stay aware and stay safe out there today. Bye.